Okay, everybody. Hello. This is the very special Shocktober episode of Flea Market <laughs> Fantasy. This is your co-host, Michael, and I'm, as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. Yes, and today is my pick. This is a, a comic book that I owned as a kid, and it's House of Mystery number 313 featuring I, Vampire. And I can tell by how excited you, you are right now that you really enjoyed this issue, Mike Dell. <laughs> Obviously. All right, but let, let's get into this Shocktober nonsense. Because all okay. month you've been talking about Shocktober, Shocktober, Shocktober. So does that lead me to believe that you love Halloween, Mike L? Uh, You know, it's funny. I, I, I do love Halloween. <laughs> I don't do anything to celebrate. I don't dress that's, up. I don't have decorations. But I just yeah. love Halloween. Yeah, see, that's what I was going to get at. I was going to ask if you, like, dress up. Do you go to costume parties? Yeah, that kind of stuff. But nothing. No, nothing. nothing. I just watch movies, like a Halloween, a lot of horror movies and, you know, TV shows and just stuff like that. You know what I mean? Now, now you're up in Canada. So is, is Halloween a big thing up there? Do people care? It's, pro- it's probably equal to United States. Yes, absolutely. Oh. There's no difference. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Except a lot more bacon and maple syrup given out you as can- treats. Probably it's a little bit colder too. It's actually we're we're probably more suited to Halloween, right? Because because you know how like in the United States only some parts of the United States have the appropriate weather, while everywhere in Canada has the appropriate weather, right? So unless you're like up in the Yukon or something, you mean like uh, the fall weather? The yeah. yeah yeah. Whereas if you're living in the states and you're in Florida, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have the leaves falling, right? I assume yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Florida's weird. Who knows what yeah. goes on down there? Exactly. So, so what, what do you give out as a typical treat on Halloween when the just, kids come to your house? Well, just like, you know, those mini little, see, like, I know you guys call them candy bars. We call them chocolate bars, but just like, you know, mini Snickers, mini oh, Reese's okay. Pieces, candy, oh. whatever. It's, oh, trust me, it, it's exactly the same. uniquely Canadian. No, like if you if you were if you were, if someone like kidnapped you and drove you up here in like their trunk of their car and dumped you out on a street somewhere, you would not be able to tell the difference. I'm pretty sure. I was thinking everyone had to give out like Tim bits and uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Tim Horton coffee. It would be a lot more Tim Hortons. Like I'll actually have you know, um, in my hometown. So my hometown is two hundred thousand people. Okay. Holy hell! Yeah, two hundred thousand people. Yeah, that's pretty small, right? My my hometown has like twelve thousand tops. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. okay. So you live in a small town, okay? Yeah. Actually, you know who lives in a small town? Bob Budiansky, the co-creator of uh, Transformers. But anyway, that's another story. So anyway, in my hometown, there's two hundred thousand people. When I was a teenager, we counted. We had fifty Tim Hortons. Okay. So <laughs> I can only assume that we've got twice as many now. I don't know, but there's I lose a one street in Windsor. There's literally five Tim Hortons on it. Five. That's insane. But anyway. <laughs> all right. So the point of all this is, is Halloween is very important to Mike L. Even though he doesn't dress up for a really good no, day. No. Don't dress it's up. It's very important. Yeah. <laughs> so for that reason, Mike L. reached into his childhood memories and he picked this House of Mystery 313 from 1983. That's right. the year. And I was shocked that they were still doing horror anthologies in 1983. That seemed that's crazy true. to me. Yeah, they, they seem to be a relic of like the 60s, eh? Yeah, because whenever 60s. we're doing this show and we're talking about the creators of these comics, we always talk about how they break in on horror anthologies. To, to a man, every, every person that we've talked about, <laughs> they started off in horror anthologies. But now they're like non-existent, right? And I thought they were phased out in the 60s. But here, House of Mystery, it, it was still rolling, 1983. Although we're, we're reviewing issue 313 and the title ended with issue 321. 
so, so it was on its way out. Yeah, it was on its way out. So thank God you picked it just in time. You got it. <laughs> so we can read this right. wonderful story. All right, Micah. Well, I figured uh, maybe I'll give you a little more background on House of Mystery. It was a horror anthology that started in December of 1951. Wow. Okay. And then because of the comics code, the, the issues they were having with the comics, you know, because in the 50s, they're like, all oh, this horror stuff, it's too, it's too uh, uh, detrimental to our youth. So they cracked down on horror stuff in the comic books. So during the 60s, House of Mystery evolved into sci-fi and uh, superheroes. Okay. And in the night, I believe 1964, uh, Martian Manhunter was featured. Ah, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the old Justice League Martian Manhunter guy. Right. Have you ever read any Martian Man- Manhunter? Uh, no. Really? I've, okay. I've seen some cartoons <laughs> with him in it. There's some good stuff back in the, the 50s and 60s, definitely. So he returned to its horror roots in 1968. Okay. They said, it's the comics code, I guess, you know, relaxed or whatever. So like, all right, we're bringing back the horror stories. So the, the gimmick is that the house of mystery, it's a, it's a literal house. Mm-hmm. And when uh, 1968, when they brought it back to the horror theme, they introduced a character named Kane. Yeah. C-A-I-N, who I had no idea who this person was. But he's in our issue, and I guess he he's kind of like a narrator of sorts. He introduces the, the stories. In right. The he's the host. He's like Elvira, right? Yeah, they call him the caretaker of the House of Mystery. Right. And he's just this little guy with a weird beard and glasses, bald, and uh, I don't know. Now, you know what, he's, what his name is alluding to, right? I, I guess Cain and Abel. Right. And he has a brother named Abel, and Abel... I believe, hosts the House of Secrets. Huh. Yeah. And <laughs> How many the, house comic books does DC have? A whole lot of comics. A whole <laughs> lot of house comics. So, so like a I, house of monkeys? There a what's house that? Of, no, there's no House of Monkeys. No House of Gibbons. Sorry. Okay. Um, and I believe, and now this is sort of secondhand knowledge because I found out more about these guys because they were brought back by Neil Gaiman in the Sandman comics, but um, one of the running gags is that Kane would constantly kill Abel over and over again. That was one of the gags. <laughs> right. And they've actually stolen that joke in uh, the TV show The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which I just started watching, and by the way, it's excellent. I never um, yeah. Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Yeah, they, they've rebooted it into like a new you know, modern-day uh, show, and it's actually really good. If you ever want to talk about it with uh, G.I. Jolie, she'd love to talk about it, I'm sure. Yeah, I'd rather not. Okay. <laughs> All right. Stick with Big Brother. All right. Yes. Unless are there are a lot of fist fights on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. None. Zero. Right. Sorry. Yeah, then I'm out. Uh, all right. <laughs> so uh, that's the basic premise of the House of Mystery. And I guess this Kane fellow, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, but he does uh, become a more prominent figure, I guess, in DC books, right? Doesn't he... Well, at least there's one DC book I'm aware of. Which he, one? Well, you mentioned he came, he came back to Sandman, but also something called Justice League Dark. Oh, yeah. That's we'll talk of, about that a little bit more later. Yeah, okay. We'll get to that later. All right. So the main story in this issue, House of Mystery 313, you mentioned earlier, it stars I, Vampire. Yeah. I, Vampire. Cool name, eh? No. <laughs> it's a it's a play off the old uh, i claudius yes that's literature. A... yeah uh so mike yo i vampire was created by jm de mateus yep him again eh yeah three weeks in a row we've talked about jm de mateus 
Uh, and the Eye of Vampire storyline began in issue 290 in March of 1981, and it ran until issue 319 in August 1983, just two issues before the title ended. Mm. So who is this Eye Vampire fellow? Well, uh, his name is Lord Andrew Bennett, and he, uh, this dates back to 1591. That's mm-hmm. when all this started. He, uh, he became a vampire, Michael. Now, now, do you know how he became a vampire? I uh, I've never read the story. No. How did he become a vampire? Yeah, I don't know. I oh, just... you don't know? Oh, okay. I just well, know that. I guess he was bitten by a bat or something. I don't know. If, if you want, I, I can. I actually have his Wikipedia uh, entry open. Um, I don't, that's where I got most of this info from, and they don't really say, so don't worry about it. Okay, we'll just leave that to mystery. <laughs> it, okay. it just assume that in, in 1591, Lord uh, Andrew Bennett, he's a vampire. Uh-huh. Somehow he's turned into a vampire. Someone bites him. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he then infects his girlfriend, Mary Seward. Yes. And Mary becomes an evil vampire. And she forms a group of vampires called the Blood Red Moon, and they want to take over the world. Mm-hmm. So Lord Andrew Bennett pursues Mary throughout history, right up into modern day, trying to stop her and the Blood Red Moon from taking over the world. Isn't that compelling? It actually is in a way. Yeah, <laughs> because well, he does this because he feels guilty that he made this horrible mistake that he unleashed this vampire on the world who is going to murder everybody. So he's trying to, uh, you know, uh, make amends for that horrible mistake that he made, that big regret that he has. So I, I like that motivation. Mm. I like, I think it's make good. a great TV show. Did they make a TV show from this? No, it would make a great TV show, though. I think DC should do it, you know? Turning everything, everything else into a TV show. One at this, right? Yeah, they're usually terrible anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, Bennett tries to maintain his humanity by only drinking animal blood or human blood from a bottle. Mm-hmm. That's classy. That's really nice of him to do that. Yeah. Now, do you think like he, he can suck the blood out of a human, spit it in a bottle, and then drink it? Is well, it- I'm sure he could, but I don't think he does. Yeah, I'm sure he doesn't want to. Uh, <laughs> ben- Bennett's allies are Deborah Dancer, which is a ridiculous name. Uh, she's a beautiful young woman uh, who he saved from Mary at Woodstock. Look at that. They're at Woodstock. The Woodstock, right? <laughs> yes, the Woodstock. <laughs> and he uh, saved Deborah Dancer. She, she becomes his girlfriend then, too, I think. Um, but I don't know what that means, technically. Like, if to a vampire? Just, yeah, like if she's just a girl and they're, they're like romantically involved or if they're actually making sweet, sweet love. I don't what know. Does that mean they're just talking? Or does that mean they're just hanging yeah. out? Or does that mean, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Who knows these days? And then his other ally is a fellow named Dmitry Mishkin. Mm-hmm. And he's a, a Russian guy who uh, Bennett saved from Mary and Mishkin's mother, who was also a vampire when he was just a boy. But it's now, confusing. Yeah. Yeah. But now Mishkin's like an older fellow. Uh-huh. Um, and Mishkin, I guess, is still searching for his mother to try and kill her or something because she's still living as a vampire. So they work together. Uh, so Lord Andrew Bennett, he has all the powers of a normal vampire, you know, the typical stuff, mm-hmm. like super strength. Uh, he can hypnotize people by staring into their eyes. He can also turn into a, a rat, mm-hmm. a bat, a wolf, or mist. Very cool. Yeah. Now, is that normal? Do vampires all turn into mists? You know, I'm not sure about the mist. Yeah, I don't seemed... know. I don't know if Dracula could do that. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Yeah. 
<clears throat> All right, so that sets the stage for this uh, main story here in House of Mystery 313. It's called Side Effects. And would you like to take it away, Mike L? Oh, boy. So <laughs> this, okay, let me just say I can see why I sold this off when I was a little kid, because this was a hard story to kind of get into. First of all, I'm not sure if last issue ended on a cliffhanger or if this is really how the story starts, but I vampire, I mean, should we call him I vampire or should we call him Andrew Bennett? I guess Bennett. Okay. Bennett. Yeah. So Bennett and uh, (laughs) what's her name? The girl. um, Oh, so this is not his girlfriend. This is Maggie Carl, the reporter. Yes. Yeah. News reporter, Maggie Carl. Right. So they are they have been captured and brought to this uh, bar research lab where they're investigating this supposed cure for cancer. And it's it's really oof. it's OK. So here's the cool <laughs> thing. I, I just got to say the thing I love about this is that it's, he narrates it like it's a novel. Right. So that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool, right? He's kind of, of explaining things, how they're going. <laughs> and uh, the first thing that happens is he gets stuck. He gets uh, shoved in a cage, which he easily escapes from because he can turn into a rat, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this, though. Yeah, yeah. so the, the, the evil scientist guy is Alan Barr. Yes. Uh, and I think could have come up with a more sinister name than that, right? Well, you know what's funny is Mike W. Barr was a writer at Marvel at DC at this time. And Dan Mishkin is the co-writer of this story. So it's like they were just naming these characters after the oh. guys who were like in the office with them, you know? Say, I just know if you're, if you're like, you're supposed to be uh, afraid of an evil scientist. I don't know if you should be named Alan. Really yeah, good point. good point. Yeah. But yeah, so, so Alan Barr takes uh, the, the lady away because Michael, are, do you have the comic in front of you? Yes. All right. Now, before they separate the two, yeah, Alan Barr says uh, he makes a a quote. He says something about pleasure. Do you see it? It's like Wait, let's see here. It's a panel of just his face, and he's looking right at the camera. Oh, uh, he's ninety three to be exact, but I've managed to keep myself fit and still quite able to take advantage of certain pleasures. Yes, and I think <laughs> I know what he means. And that's right before he takes the young lady away. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of something's creepy. fishy there. Yeah. yeah. So then they throw uh, Bennett into the cage. They lock him up, and then of course they always walk away because that's what they do. When they yep. Murder. No need to kill him, right? I mean, yeah. He and like you said, he, he turns into a rat. Now let me ask you this, Michael, because of course as a rat he can walk right out of the cage, but he can also turn into a mist. And and later in the issue, like if you can turn into a mist, wouldn't that be all you do? Like why even monkey around with turning into a rat, so to speak? Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. But then again, there's a lot of things in here that raise similar questions. They'll get to you in a minute. Uh, yes. I don't want to call them leaps in logic, but it, it just – let's put it this way. At this point in the story, I'm along for the ride. I'm reading it. I'm enjoying it, right? Everything's cool. Right. So I Bennett or whatever, Andrew Bennett, whatever the <laughs> hell his name is. I, like, I think I Bennett would have been a better. Yeah, I Bennett. Much catchier. So he's – Trying to figure out what's going on. So he comes across a goon. You know, he's trying to get information out of him, right, to find out uh, what's going on here. So he's like, tell me what Barr's game is all about. It's obvious his motives are not altruistic. So basically, he doesn't get much out of the goon. So he hypnotizes him and kind of knocks him out. Yeah, he Uh, hypnotizes him. Not unlike Craven the Hunter in last week's issue. Good point. With the gibbon. That's a good point, yeah. Another parallel. A lot of parallels in uh, flea market fantasy, right? (laughs) Yep. So then he's moving along through the headquarters. Now, this is where it gets a little bit confusing. As a, as a visual storytelling medium, it gets a little bit confusing because 
Bennett is going along through these hallways and he hears like this hiss coming from behind a door. Then he opens up the door. And so visually, we then cut to a scene of um, his friends, Deborah Dancer and Dimitri yeah. Mishkin. So I, at first when I was reading this, I thought, oh, well, they're in the next room, but they're not. It's actually cutting away to a yeah, different scene. Okay. Because that page before it ends, he opens the door and he's horrified at what he sees. Right, right, right. So, so, so then it... <laughs> so like, what's going on here? Yeah. It's no, actually it's cutting away. Yeah, yeah cool. it's the cliffhanger, right, right. So it's it's actually kind of clever. And then and then when we cut away to the subplot, we also see someone hanging upside down outside of his friend's window, which I don't think we come back to. So that's like another, you know, how they, they used to plot drop these little subplots yeah. in there back then. It, but, so but now the guy, the guy hanging upside down, I guess he's another vampire, but he looks a lot like Bennett. So I'm like, wait, is Bennett? That makes it confusing. Yeah, I'm like, wait yeah. a minute, what is going on here? Okay. So anyway, so we then we cut back. So now we find out what Bennett saw what that made him so shocked. And it's a jail cell with these man spider creatures. Yeah. All locked up in this jail cell. Uh, this is where shit gets weird. Yeah, this is exactly where shit gets weird. Wait a minute. I think that qualifies us as um what's the word when you have swearing in your uh, podcast? Oh, I'm sorry. oh yeah. No, what's we're that not, called? Yeah, we're not uh, family friendly now. We're right, yeah. Adult. I think we we're banned. But anyway, yeah. so, <laughs> so anyway, so one of them is normal. So they start talking and then basically he's getting more information. And then the guy tells them that they, them, that these creatures themselves are the cure for cancer. Okay. But then, so another group of scientists come in, come in. And so now he, instead of turning, now he, he's trying to kind of hide himself. So instead of turning to a rat, he turns into mist, just like you yes. said, right? Yep. So now he's mist. So he can kind of like float around and listen in on what's going on. So they take one of these guys out and they bring him into another lab with, uh, what's this guy's name here? I don't even know. But basically, yeah. this scientist is, um, is basically experimenting on these creatures to supposedly uh, create this vaccine for cancer. Then Bennett well, materialized, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, what they're doing, Michael, is they're abducting homeless dudes. Right, right, yes. As he they're, calls them skidrow bums. Yeah, and they're turning the homeless guys into the spider creatures. Then they're taking venom from the spiders that they're using for their supposed cancer cure, quote unquote. Yeah. Yes. Very convoluted. Yes. <laughs> that's Very like one that's a couple steps too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ew, yes, exactly. So then oh, so then he materializes into I vampire and then we have fisticuffs, which I'm sure you enjoy. One. Although it's we have, one punch. Yeah, we have one punch. And this whole <laughs> entire issue, there's one damn punch. Dang. That's not enough. No, it's not, eh? It, it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> make up for everything else then, eh? And he's punching a uh, we got this Lord Andrew Bennett with this super vampire strength. He's punching an old dude, an old ball, like an a, a geriatric. It's not hardly a fist fight. He's oh, it's only abuse. Uh-huh. So he so then he escapes and then goes to another room and there's another bad guy. So this is oh so this is now Alan Barr. Yes. So he bursts in on Alan Barr and Alan Barr has got the reporter upside down. <laughs> yeah. She's on the she, table upside down. She's still fully clothed though. So the earlier yeah. implication get your minds out of the gutter. Yeah, exactly. Doing. It's a different kind of pleasure. Yeah. So now so this is where it gets even weirder. Then all of a sudden, he pops his fangs, and Bennett yeah. realizes this guy's a vampire as well. Yep. He's a, a vampire. vampire. You, you, know was, you, was that? you know who else you can tell he's a vampire? His oh. eyes are yellow, 
and he gets like red irises and people there. Good so, point. Good uh, point. So now, yeah, the only way to tell him apart from Bennett is he has green hair. <laughs> so he says, a vampire, that explains your inhuman treatment of those poor derelicts, but not why you would develop a cancer cure fatal to your own kind. And this is where we have another twist. My own kind, bah, I have no kinship with other vampires. And then he says, wait, where is it here? Yeah, we'll uh, jump. You're, you're skipping a big point here, though, Michael. Uh-oh, the, what did I say? The cancer cure is not a cure for cancer. Yes, that's what I was getting to. I thought, where does he say that here? It's on the next page, I think. Well, I think he had to have said it before, that quote you gave, because he's like, you're against oh, your own kind. Because what happens is he's telling all these humans that, hey, I, I developed a cure for cancer, and they're giving them the cure, they, they take the cure, but actually it's uh, to poison vampires. Yes, yes, yes. Because so, he, he wants all the other vampires yes. in the world to die out. He wants Ridic to be the, the lone vampire so he can just feast on all the people he wants with no competition. And he has an antidote to prevent himself from getting sick. But, yes. Uh, yeah, so it, th this whole cancer cure is just a ploy to poison vampires. Yeah, see here, on the, yeah, on the next page he says, you fool, there was never any cancer cure except for a few select lab animals. You know, uh, I gotta say, there's one more twist coming. Uh, <laughs> the, I, I can't, like, this is what I mean is I, I at the beginning of the story I was in, I was buying it, but then <laughs> it gets even weirder because then we find out the reporter is also a vampire. <laughs> yes. And Andrew Bennett says, "Not you too, Maggie Carl, girl reporter, reporter and girl vampire at your service." <laughs> Uh, so this is exactly the point where I remember how I said I was with it and it, I was in and it, it was, you know, I was I was along for the ride. No longer along for the ride here. Okay? Well, well you, you, you skipped another detail there. Uh, when Bennett and um, Alan Barr are arguing, Barr, you know, it seems like he has the upper hand or something. But then uh, Maggie appears and she just stabs Barr in the back through the heart right. and kills him with like a wooden stake. So he dies, and that's when she reveals it. Because he goes, how did you get out? And she goes, well, it's no problem if I can turn into mist. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> You're a vampire, too? And how do we know she's a vampire, Michael? Yellow eyes, red pupils. You got yeah. it. Yeah. So then she turns into a bat and flies away. It says, bye, cutie. And that's actual dialogue. Bye, cutie. Uh -oh. Oh, and also, she has two. Uh, she throws him a vial of the antidote, right? Right. Because Andrew Bennett had been poisoned a little bit, a wee bit, in the previous issue. Right. Uh, he bit somebody, and, and he got weakened by it. And she takes one vial of antidote. So the blood red moon. Oh, we should say Maggie Carl's part of the blood red moon. She's with Mary Seward, uh, right. former right. girlfriend. She's one of his. She's one of her pals, and they're in the blood red moon together. But she, so she takes the vial of antidote so their scientists can uh, duplicate it and cure the the uh, poison, you know, going around. Well, I, we also have to point out that she throws it at him because it's not as if glass is brittle or anything, right? <laughs> she so, calls it cutie. And she says, yeah. don't let Mary know that I helped you. Right. Yeah. So there's obviously an ongoing, you know, saga of different characters here, but this whole idea of finding out that the bad guy's a vampire and the girl reporter's a vampire, it just pushes it over the edge of, you know, believability. Everybody. Everything else I could uh, buy. I could buy the spider creatures whose blood could, you know, cure cancer. I could buy that. This whole bit, I just can't buy it. Well, again, they couldn't cure cancer. They could poison vampires. Right, right. It was all, yeah, and that's the thing is, you just got to wonder what was, 
the, the unnecessary complication. I don't know. It just seems like it they just sort of could they just added the spider stuff to make it a horror. Yeah, it could have been spider creatures. Because otherwise, there's no reason to have them there. Uh, so then the laboratory, they had their fight, and the laboratory catches fire, and she escapes, and then Bennett gets the antidote, and then he turns into a bat, and he escapes. But all the other spider creatures, they all burn to death. Yep. <laughs> they all die. That's also what makes it horror, right? Yeah, plus all the all the uh, security guards and the guys just work at nine-to-five jobs at the laboratory. Right, right. They're all dead. And then he's like, I listened to their high-pitched shrieks and wails as flaming death consumed them, and I swore that the war would go on. Huh. It will go on. Yeah. So he has so, to track down Mary in the blood red moon. See, this would make a perfect TV show. It'd be like, you know, like the ongoing quest that would take him to the last episode when he finally confronts Mary, right? I think it'd be great. Uh, I mentioned earlier Justice League Dark. Yeah. And I guess, now are you familiar with this, Michael? Can you explain yes. this? Yes. I bought, I bought the first few years worth, actually. You okay. sound shocked. You sound shocked. You're speechless. <laughs> Explain the uh, premise of Justice League Dark. Okay, here's my cynical uh, um, summary of what Justice League Dark is. So DC had a bunch of characters that were all part of Vertigo. And Vertigo was their sort of adult uh, offshoot line that was for supposedly for more sophisticated readers, right? So they had people like Swamp Thing, Constantine, um, you know, Doom Patrol, Animal Man, things like that. And then once they did the New 52 reboot, they brought all those characters back in. And what they did was they took all the ones that sort of fit with horror, fantasy, stuff like that, and they just shoved them together into a t into and gave it the most embarrassing moniker I've, that I've ever heard in a comic book, Justice League Dark. You know, it's like, if you're going to have a team that's the theme is like, you know, supernatural, then you'd give it a name, like in the real world, it's like, you know, the X-Files, it's like unexplained, or I don't know what, but you would never, it's like, it's like, you don't, if you have a, a group of people and you, you you don't you don't acknowledge the genre you're in, you know what I mean? It's like, hey, these are my comedy people I hang out with. Like, if you're in a sitcom, you don't call your friends the comedy gang because it's like we it was the audience know that you're funny, <laughs> but the people in the show don't know they're funny, right? Well, well, Michael, so didn't kinda, Marvel like, why, didn't Marvel do something? Uh, didn't they have a Dark Avengers or what did they yes, call their evil? Just Avengers? as embarrassing. <laughs> yes, right. you know what? It'd be, it'd be like it's like it'd be like calling. It's it's one thing to call a comic book Justice League horror, but the people in the comic can't call themselves Justice League horror, right? Well, that's why it's they call themselves Justice League Dark. You know, Dark's ambiguous. You don't know. Okay. Seems just as ridiculous, but anyway. <laughs> but basically, it was all these supernatural, like um, demon-related heroes. <laughs> who it wasn't Batman like leading them, or was that just in the cartoon? I think he might have, I'm not sure actually, he might have been in it at one point, but I remember it was like Constantine, um, Madame Xanadu, Dead Man, Shade the Changing Man, Zatanna. Yeah, uh, I don't think Batman was ever in there. Well, I know they made a cartoon of it and Batman was in the cartoon. I guess he was their leader in the cartoon. Uh, but uh, also they had different incarnations and I guess Wonder Woman was their leader eventually. Yes. And there was also a fella in the later team called Doc, or, uh, Detective Chimp. Yes, I, I was going to say. So now you, you probably, you'd probably be interested. Yeah, I'm all in on Justice League Dark yeah. with Detective Champ. But the reason I bring this up, Michael, is because I guess the plot line, uh, one of the main stories in Justice League Dark, is that our buddy Kane from the mystery 
House of Mystery, he uh, was somehow leading an army of vampires. I guess the Blood Red Moon vampires. He was like leading them to do some shenanigans. Or maybe this is just the ca- the cartoon version. I don't know. Uh, but they had they then resurrect Andrew Bennett because he had died. They they bring him back to life to fight them. And Lord Andrew Bennett defeats Kane in the Blood Red Moon Vampires. Really? Yeah. Well, you know that they also rebooted I Vampire for New Fifty Two, right? Uh, I did read something about that, but I tried to pretend it never happened. Exactly, because they made him. I think it was basically like a Twilight version of I Vampire. Uh, you know, like a young kind of teen kind of guy. And I don't know. I guess, you know what? I think to me, Justice League Dark is to the House of Mystery and House of Secrets what Tom Cruise's mummy is to universal horror. You know what I mean? <laughs> All, right. All right. That's, That's how I can explain it, yeah. yeah. Well, Mike L., uh, when, when readers check in with the House of Mystery, they don't just get one story. Whoa. There's, there's more stories here. Now, did you read the additional stories? I hope so. Yes, I did. All right, well, we'll set the table for the second one. Oh, boy. Okay, this is a weird <laughs> freaking story. Now, it's I, a beauty. I, I know what they're going for. They're kind of going for, like, you know, Twilight Zone or whatever. But, whew, okay, so this guy is sitting at his table. And this is really weird. He's sitting at his table, and he's reading the paper, blah, blah, blah. He's kind of bored. And he has he's looking at a beautiful girl in the paper. And then he has this thought, oh, wow. I like, you know, I especially like this girl's long, straight hair. I think I'd really like it if Helen's hair were like that. And then it cuts back to, so anyway, so he was in the kitchen with his girlfriend or his wife and she was making him breakfast. And now all of a sudden she has the same hair as the character, as the person in the newspaper. But the weird thing is, is that she doesn't, like, she doesn't recognize the change. She remembers herself as always having this kind of hair. But this is where the story gets really awkward because then he has... (laughs) A flashback, and it it basically explains that this has been going on for years, and that when he first met her, she was kind of this, you know, frumpy, sort of poorly dressed person. And then as yeah. time went by, whenever he had a thought, she would just change, and she would never rem- like remember the previous version of herself. Yeah, because Michael, here's what happens. I got the book open now. Um, they they show he's a big handsome fella. And he's walking with this lady and he's like, his wife, was she really a short and rather dumpy brunette when he first met her? <laughs> Not that her looks really mattered to him back then. And then they go longer. And then a couple pan- panels later, they get married. But then, he, you know, he's at business. He's got his briefcase, his suit on. And he looks and he sees his foxy blonde walking by. And <laughs> yet it wasn't long before he became dissatisfied and his eyes began to wander. That's right. So he's looking at these blondes and, right. and he... Then they show a panel of his wife like uh, vacuuming the carpet, looking like Hazel, the old <laughs> Hazel sitcom. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and then he bang, she turns into the smoking hot blonde, just like that right. bang, because that's what he's thinking of. So basically, whatever he wishes, that what ha- that's what happens. But but the rest of the world's not even aware of it. Like he even asked his buddies, "Don't hey, do you remember when my uh, wife was that dumpy brunette? Nope, she was always smoking hot to us, buddy." Mm-hmm. So it's like the whole world bends to his his uh, wishes. Very strange. Yes. Uh, so I was kind of hoping it would go somewhere. <laughs> oh, it goes somewhere. <laughs> uh, okay. Somewhere. Maybe you can explain this ending because I don't know what the oh. hell happens. Okay. Because basically, he he basically thinks like he's he's like accepts. He's like either I'm going crazy or maybe I don't know what's going on. But clearly, no one else knows about this. Only I do. Then it cuts back to the present. 
And this is where I lose it because all right, he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll explain it. Oh, okay. You explain it, Mike Dell. All right. So when the story opens there, uh, his wife's in the kitchen cooking dinner for him and he's upset because uh, she's cooking some healthy food. Right. And he's, he's like, she's on this diet of health food and he, he hates it. He doesn't, he wants to eat, you know, better stuff like fried chicken and pizza and tacos and stuff like that. But no, she's cooking healthy for him. So that starts everything off. So that they plant that seed there. Uh-huh. And then he, he gets in about the straight hair and then the flashbacks about the dumpy brunette. And, and, but when he uh, notices her straight hair, she goes, Oh, please don't tell me it's happening again. You're getting crazy because she had to take him to, to a therapist. And he finally, you know, embraced the fact that, Oh, I've just always been married to this smoking hot blonde. You know, there was no dumpy, but you know, in the back of his mind, he knows that something's weird here. So she starts freaking out thinking, Oh, it's happening again. So that's uh, what triggered the big flashbacks. But he finally comes out of his, uh, his flashbacks and he's still thinking, Oh, she's still cooking dinner. I wish, uh, I wish I had something good to eat. And then he walks in the kitchen. She's gone, but on the table is a fried chicken, a delicious fried chicken. So he sits down and he starts eating the fried chicken. The fried chicken's his wife, Michael. That's <laughs> kind of what I thought. But I, I mean, the fact that it's gigantic and it's green was kind of what was leaning <laughs> towards that. But that's freaking weird. Yeah, he I turned just thought, his wife I, into a chicken and he ate her. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah, bizarre. Yeah. See, to me, like, is that? Am I like? I thought it was a pretty smart guy, but I mean, is that clear? Like, or is that implied? Clear. Like, I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> but he doesn't actually say. Okay, what does he actually say to trigger that? Uh, there's a panel. Uh, now I don't have the issue in front of me anymore. I shut it down. But okay, he, shut it down. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's the panel, like uh, right before maybe he walks in the kitchen. He's he's thinking about what he wants to eat. He's just saying, oh, I want to eat something. Are you saying at the beginning or the end? The end of the story. Okay, the end. So he says, wow, I almost slipped back. Oh, it's probably this crazy diet. She has me on making me weak and messed up my mind. If only. Wait, what's the smell? If only. So I guess that's it. So So, if he says, if only. Okay. Yeah, the dot, dot, dot was his imagining a tasty dinner. And then, then the last panel, he says, this right here is what I really want. That's the end. Yeah. And, well, then we get a little picture of Kane, right. <clears throat> the little, uh, caretaker of the House of Mystery. And does he say something creepy, or what does he say? He just says, "All this food talk has made me hungry. Has made me hungry." Gregory and I are on our way to the Cauldron to get get some grits. Wanna <laughs> join us? <laughs> I love it. Now, who's Gregory? Is that that big spider at the beginning? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah, his buddy Gregory. All right. Yeah, Gregory. Yep. And he speaks French, only French. Isn't that great? <laughs> I love it. I love it. See, DC's awesome. Anyway. All right. We get one more uh, story here, Mike L. And uh, oh, I, I believe this one, wasn't okay. this one drawn by Carmen Infantino? Carmine Infantino? Yes. Yeah. Who at one point was a great artist, but at this point was <laughs> one of the worst artists <laughs> in the industry. Okay. This is pretty rough. This is another story that doesn't quite add up, but maybe you can explain it to me. Okay, Okay, so we've got a kid looking through a a microscope, and he sees, I mean, I assume it's his imagination, but he sees these, um, they kind of look like little microscopic beings, but they're dressed up like, uh, you know, like uh, Vikings or something. They've got helmets on, fighting with swords. Yep. And then we kind of overhear his parents arguing, and basically they're not his parents. They're not his parents. Oh, they're his. What are they? Aunt, uncle, aunt, uncle, and aunt. Yeah. Right. 
And so basically, we find out through the dialogue, the, the uncle says, if Arthur were killed in that accident, along with your sister and brother-in-law, we'd have inherited their fortune. When he dies, we will inherit. And then, and then he comes in yeah. and they oh, quiet down, quiet down. So, so yeah, so the basically- Yeah, the, the little kid's par uh, parents died in a car accident. He survived. Right. But the doctors didn't expect him to survive much longer. But now the, the, the aunt and the uncle, because this kid inherits a fortune. They're living in this right. mansion, lots of money. But the aunt and the uncle want the money. They don't want to just be his babysitters. They want the money themselves. Or at least the uncle does. The aunt, she seems nice. But the uncle's a dick. And uh, so he's like, if only this little kid would die already. If he would just hurry up and die, we could inherit the money. So that's the basic premise here. Right. It's a classic kind of gothic horror type thing. Right? Oh, and I, and I should mention that the uncle, the reason he's so mad is because this kid, uh, he's wasting all his money on getting these like insects and little bugs Right. And all this stuff for his his uh, science projects, so he can study them under microscopes. And the right. kid's in a wheelchair too, I believe, right? He, right. He, yes, he is. Yes, he is. So, so that's all he does. He just sits in his room all day, looking through his microscope at all these little bugs and insects and germs and viruses and whatever else he's got going on. And he's fascinated by it. Uh, but the uncle's really upset. So what does the uncle do, Michael? So then, yeah. So like the next day or whatever. So the uh, the mailman brings an exotic insect, but I believe it's a scorpion. Yeah, yep. a scorpion. It's, it's a big, and, giant red scorpion in a right. box. And the mailman brings it to him. There's just like a mesh grating on top of the box. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you can see in it, it's a scorpion. That's how they just send it through the mail. And, yeah, and, then, the mailman, exactly. and then the mailman tells him, hey, be careful. Those things will kill you. Yeah, he <laughs> said, be careful how you handle that thing. It's poison kill you. And he's like, oh? Because no one knows that, right? It's not common knowledge. <laughs> Uh, so then, so then he's looking, see, this is what's weird is like, he's like looking through the microscope and the kid actually says, I've never seen germs like these, these yeah. must be, or they must be a mutation. So I'm not sure how big these are supposed to be. Also, it does, it doesn't help that Carmine Infantino's art is not exactly realistic or accurate or based on anything in reality, you know? So I don't yeah, know if he's he, supposed the, to be. The kid also noticed that some of the germs, don't they look like his uncle? Okay, this yeah, this is where it gets even weirder. Is now he's looking at the um, he's looking at the. It looks like two ants, and then it kind of zooms in, and you see he's like, hold it, another, another species coming into focus. It looks like like Uncle Ben. Oh, by the way, that's what's also confusing is his name yeah. is Uncle Ben, so it's <laughs> allusions to Spider Man, and a rice, so, I believe as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It threw me off. Yeah. So anyway, so then the real Uncle Ben comes in. He's like talking to your friends again, Arthur. Uncle Ben, you're just in time. So then the Uncle Ben um, gives him the scorpion. Oh no no! So then he oh he, he, goes, he gives it to him. All right. <laughs> yeah he gives, yeah. So he's like, you have no need for your microbes, Arthur. Not where you're going, Uncle Ben. No. Yeah. I, and this is where <sighs> uh, Uncle Ben just takes the scorpion and throws it at the kid's face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's and then and then it says some hours later when police are summoned to the grim scene. I found him like this sob when I returned from shopping. What do you make of it, Inspector? I don't wait. Look, a, a dead scorpion. The old lady says the boy was always messing around with bugs and all kinds of weird things. And by the looks of that sting mark on the kid, he got it just after it got him. As for the man, all he has is a tiny scratch on his finger. I guess we'll have to wait for the coroner's report on him. Funny, though, that look in his eyes as though he's seen what killed him. And then we see in his eyeball a reflection of one of those bug things with the <laughs> barbarian gear on. Yep. Yep. Okay, what the hell 
is going on here, Mike Dell? Can you explain this one to me, please? Well, the, uh, the, the uncle came in and threw the scorpion on the kid's face, and the scorpion yes. killed the kid. And then the germs, the little bugs under the microscope, they like the kid. You know, they're, he's their buddy. So they got pissed, and then they uh, killed the uncle. That's basically what happens. Okay, but that can't happen, can it? <laughs> <laughs> it can in the house of mystery. Oh, boy. Okay. They got well. into his body through that little cut in his finger, and they killed him. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you can't really have a twist ending that's not based on, I guess, logic. It has to be based on logic, right? It has to be based on reality to some extent, I think. Yeah. But not in this case. And then, all right, so those are the three main stories. But then we get another little uh, one-page cartoon there at the end. Yes, which you'll also have to explain to me, Mike Dill. <laughs> we have this little—it's called I Baby Vampire, and it's this little baby that looks like a vampire, and it's yes. this little four-panel thing. I mean, I can't really summarize it. I could read it if you want. Well, it's just uh, this baby vampire. He's wearing diapers, and he's—he's uh, he's complaining about how people uh, don't really believe he's a vampire or something. And then he goes, "But then I show him I can change into a bat," or so he changes into a bat. He's like, but they they just laugh at a bat in Pampers, and he's still wearing the diaper as a bat, and it looks ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's the big joke. Yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> you picked it. <laughs> yes. Well, like I said, you know, I, I read it in 1983, and I thought it was good then, and there's obviously a reason I sold it, right? Well, well I believe you said you were, you like the cover, and the cover has a picture of Lord Andrew Bennett. Uh, it's 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 a well drawn cover. Uh, he's on the yes. front just drinking a glass of wine with a bunch of candles. So uh, yeah, the cover really. the cover is by Mike Kaluta, who's a really you know he's a pretty famous artist in that t- at the time. So and okay. and like I said last week, I I when I saw this cover, I naturally thought it was Jack Palance as Dracula on the cover. <laughs> but you look at this and it doesn't yeah, look it looks anything nothing like, like Jack Palance. <laughs> no. Yeah, we should mention uh, Andrew Bennett, his big de- defining characteristic. He has a, you know, head of black hair, but he has a white streak right down the front, like a skull. Right. Yeah. Drives uh, the ladies wild. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about some of the creators involved here, Michael. We'll, sure. we'll, we'll just focus on the eye vampire stuff. Sure, um, sure. The writers were uh, Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn. Yes. And I you think it's weird. That, yeah, like you mentioned, Mishkin uh, is a character name as well. Right. And they just took it. It's a, also a Dostoevsky reference. If you really want to. Oh, get is it really? The idiot. That well read. Yeah. All right. Uh, so they, uh, Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn, they were a writing team. They were friends in junior high, and they entered comics together as a duo. And their first work was a three-page story in Time Warp number three in 1980. Uh, but but that was drawn by Steve Ditko. So that's really? pretty good. Like that's, your first yeah. in comics. Drawn by Steve Ditko. That's a win. Uh, as a duo, they did 18 issues of House of Mystery from 1981 to 1983. They also created Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld, a 12-issue limited series in 1983. You've actually heard of that? I actually own every single issue. <laughs> <laughs> I, all right. Cut that out and post. I, just, just clip it and get it out of there because we don't want anyone to know that you own all 12 issues of Amethyst. Gemworld Princess or whatever the hell it is. Gemworld. I can just say it sounds it, it it works on paper. It works, but when you actually read it, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's funny because just reading the title, I could tell it doesn't work. Uh, and then they also created a 1984 series called Blue Devil. Yes. 
I'm sure you've heard of Blue Devil, right? I've never heard of Blue Devil. Really? Blue Devil is like a lighthearted DC character. I believe what his origin was, was he was, wasn't he a stuntman in a movie playing a character called Blue Devil? Yes. And he was wearing the suit and then something happened and he got like the suit became real, right? There was a demon on set. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the demon, and the demon like cursed him or hit him with a bolt or something. And so the suit became fused to his body. So like the suit and him are one. Love and it. it was like an exoskeleton, though, so I guess it gives him some extra strength and stuff. Yeah. But uh, and then eventually, I guess he becomes a demon. Yeah. Himself. Um, but yeah, I had never heard of Blue Devil until reading about it last night. Uh, that that title ran for thirty-two issues, and they wrote all but three of them. Uh, and then separately, Mishkin did a solo run on Wonder Woman from eighty-two to eighty-five. Mm. And. Uh, Gary Cohn, uh, on his own, he wrote three Hardy Boys novels and two Nancy Drew novels. So nice. that's pretty cool. Yeah. So there you go. Dan. Now, do you know anything else about Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn? Any other? No, to be honest, I don't. I only really knew them from Amethyst. So that's that's unfortunate. <laughs> All right. So uh, the artist of this issue, Michael, was Adrian Gonzalez. Yes. Do you have any experience with Adrian Gonzalez? No, and. I don't like to criticize people, but this art was not spectacular. <laughs> it was all right. It was all right. Uh, he was born in 1937 in the Philippines, and sadly, he passed away in 1998. Uh, oh, he yeah. started doing comics in the Philippines during the 60s, and he only did sporadic U.S. work until 1981 when he became the regular penciler on All-Star Squadron. Really? He did 13 issues of All-Star Squadron. He replaced uh, Rich, Rich Buckler. Is that his name? Rich Buckler, Buckler yeah. So I should be familiar with him then, I guess. Yeah, I name. but this is like the third or fourth time now we've mentioned All-Star Squadron. So we're getting close. I'm going to have to pick an All-Star Squadron issue Great. from my childhood. We're getting close. Um, he also did 18 issues of House of Mystery from 81 to 83. He did all the same ones that Mishkin and Cohn wrote. So okay. I guess just the Eye Vampire stuff. Uh, he also did 11 issues of Arok, Son of Thunder. Of course. From 82 to 84. Now, I never heard of Arok. It's A R A K, Eric, Eric. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but my brother had nearly every single. Wow. Day. Yes. Because it seems oh. like it's just a ripoff of Conan and Thor. Well, <laughs> kind of like, you know, more, yeah, I would say more Conan, you yeah. know, little beast. The, the Son of Thunder. Yeah. Son of Thunder like stuff. stuff. God, it might be a Thor thing. Right. But uh, yeah, it seems like just a blatant Conan ripoff. And he also did eight issues of Sergeant Rock from 84 nice. to 85. And that's those are pretty much his main credentials. Um, you know what? I should I should revise my like the art actually is good. It's classic storytelling. I think it's more the inks that make it a little bit maybe stiff. You know, it's, it's not are, it's not great art, but yeah. it's not bad. It's professional. It's, it's right. Uh, it's competent. You know. Yes, I'll give you that. Yeah, the storytelling's fine. So yeah, I, I would say it's much like the one thing that shocks me, Michael, these days when I look at modern comic books, it's how. Like, you have excellent artists, of course, but, but it seems like there is a much uh, greater prevalence of terrible art. <laughs> I, I agree. No. I, no. I, and, and this is not just, you know, get off my lawn, old men you know, yeah. yelling at clouds. It's like, you're right. It's like there are a small handful of artists that are incredible, like Steve McNiven, Ivan Rice, you know, yeah. Brian Hitch. But then you're right. It's like, 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 how can a company employ a really good artist like that and then also employ, like, these guys, it's like they're just photoshopping, like they're taking photographs and just photoshopping them, and they're calling it professional comic book art. 
like it's the ridiculous. top, like the top guys are still awesome, you know. But right. like, I think the depth has really fallen off, and like, I am shocked sometimes when I look at these Marvel and DC books. I'm like, this is Marvel DC level art now. That's like, uh, wow. Right. You know what? I actually recently heard a possible explanation, and that's someone said that uh, because back in the '80s, um, I think it was Jim Shooter introduced royalties for any Marvel comic that sold over a hundred thousand copies. You would get royalties for anything beyond that. <laughs> so, you're telling me they're sandbagging on purpose? <laughs> no, like, like right now, the highest selling comic is under a hundred thousand. So basically, oh, nothing. Yeah, like nothing in the industry. Uh, warrants roy- royalties for the creators, so basically, it's not worth it for oh, okay. really good comic book artists to do a regular, you know, book. Like th- I think that's also why, like, really good artists, like someone like Yannick Paquette, you'll notice he doesn't do monthly books. He'll do like a graphic novel every year, just because it's probably not worth his time. You know. I see what you're saying. All right. Yeah, well, maybe because you know it's, it was always my boyhood dream to draw a comic book, and I was pretty good until uh. About 19 or 20 and then i got into writing and i got away from it but now in my older uh, advanced years i'm thinking well now i, I should try it now because sure. you know what am i waiting for uh and i'm trying to get back into drawing and i'm decent but like i i always judge myself against the best of the best and i'm like why am i even bothering you right. know, no way. I'm never going to get that good, but I can get as good as some of these people. No problem. You know, and you're right. And I, it, it sounds arrogant, but I feel the same way where I, I have my own standard for what I want my art to be because I used to draw as well. And when I look at my stuff, I'm like, oh, my God, I'll never be able to draw as good as John Romita Sr. Yeah. Or, or even, you know, this guy here. But then you're right. So then you look at some of these Marvel and DC books, and you're like, this is garbage. Like, I could easily draw this well, but it's almost like just pride doesn't allow me to, like, I, I would never submit something that bad to a company. You know? Yeah, I just have way too high of standards. we got to lower exactly. the bar, Michael. we got to lower yeah, the bar. Exactly. That's the trick. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I didn't mind the art. I thought it was okay. You know, nothing spectacular, but I like some of it. Like, he had, like, an angular feel to some of it that I enjoyed, sharp angle on, on occasion. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess there's there's a. I'm trying to think of the artist. It might be Ernie Colon, but there, it sort of reminds me of a certain type of Mad Magazine artist. Like, oh, um, and that's a good thing. Like, it it is it is, and I regret saying that I didn't like it because it is really good. But like I said, I think it's the inks that kind of flattened out a little bit. But the actual pencils underneath are really good. Now we mentioned so. the uh, the writing, how convoluted some of the stuff stuff was. <laughs> But but I kind of like the general uh, plot of this, like the the old switcheroo, the cancer cures actually to kill vampires. Sure. Um, there was just a few extra steps in there that were <laughs> a little much. Yes, sir. Yeah. And, and having like three of the main characters, having two surprise reveal vampires, that's probably one too many. Right, you know? right, right. Um, but... Yeah. Well, I, I think the thing is, is like I said at the, be- the beginning of the story, I was along for the ride because of the way he, the way he's narrating it. It's more like a novel, and the fact that you said that uh, one of them, oh, yeah, wrote, Gary Cohn, yeah, wrote, wrote uh, was it Hardy Boy novels. It doesn't surprise me, you know. Like, and that's what I mean. It's like you can even if the the plot twists themselves are a little bit ridiculous. The fact is, is that when you're reading this, it reads more like a novel, and it takes like this was only what twelve pages i think but it's yeah. longer to read than a modern a full issue of a modern day comic right yeah i, I didn't really hate it necessarily yeah exactly it was I'm fine sorry. yeah i mean it, it was just it was as good as that ghost rider issue we read a couple of weeks back yeah, yeah. it's yeah. the same kind of thing right um, now the, the other stories after that were kind of uh, 
I like the guy eating his wife as a chicken, and that was pretty good. <laughs> I think it could. You know what? Steven Skeets is actually a good writer, and I've got him. He's a Facebook friend, so i got to be careful oh. what I say. Yeah. Wow. So I do think he's a good writer because he had an Aquaman run in the late 60s and early 70s that's really good. So he's obviously a good writer. I just think they should have made it a little bit more clear about what happened with uh, – Yeah, I, I hear you. It is yeah. – they could have made it a little less subtle. <laughs> maybe, right, right. Maybe it's right. a little too subtle. Uh, yeah. But uh, I don't know. So there it is. House. Anything else we need to say about House of Mystery? I don't know. I guess the question is – okay, here's a question. Why did these books die out and could they thrive again today if they brought them back? I think it's obvious why these books died out. <laughs> I just don't think well, – I mean the concept of a horror anthology. Like, don't you think I, I just don't think like- – well, they died out in the 80s and 90s where I just don't think horror was a thing. You know, um, Nowadays, it seems like horror movies in particular – I guess in the 80s, though, the horror movies were a huge thing, though. Right, right. right. And, yeah. Hmm, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like even like something like Black Mirror, right? Like you watch Black Mirror? I'm aware of it, yes. Okay. That's basically – Twilight Zone, but it's all sci-fi, so it's all based on technology. So to me, th- those types of stories are still popular. So I think they could do something like this. But do any won't. horror anthologies exist anywhere, whether not, on the big two or even minor? Not, no, not even. I mean, maybe DC has one. Like uh, they might have like a Sandman universe type thing, but I don't think. I think they're all with characters that are recurring. So. Because at worst, Michael, like you mentioned a couple of weeks on here, like it was uh, horror, these anthologies were training grounds for young writers and artists. They could exactly. give them a shot and see who has it. And, you know, so right. I think if anything, you, these companies would want to at least have one title like that where they could run people out there and just give them a. T- I'm, I'm sure they do. Do they have like, remember Marvel Presents years ago? Uh, sure. Like they had smaller stories. Do they still, does that sort of thing still exist? You know what? As far as I know, no, because what what they do now is they let the, they let the the indie um, companies oh, sort okay. of yeah. vet everybody, and then they hire them on to Marvel and DC. I see. Yeah, yeah. That might even be a better way to do it. <laughs> Less, don't have yeah, no risks. Yeah. All right. So uh, yeah, the horror. I don't know. I, I was never a horror guy. Were you a big horror movie? Well, you say you celebrate October, what, boy, watching horror. Late, yeah, in the last, I was never as young when I was younger, but in the last 10 years, yes, I've grown to love horror. Like, I would, other than the embarrassing omission of not seeing Candyman until this weekend, <laughs> uh, I can safely say I've seen probably any good horror movie that you can imagine. Like, if you wow. can name it, I've seen it, I think. Well, I'm not a horror guy, but on the LCS okay. hockey show, Larry is a horror guy. Really? Yeah, he loves horror movies, and our other buddy Miles Watson was on this past week, and they did the top horror movies of the nineteen or the two thousands. Really, yeah. dang! And they talked a lot about horror movies. <laughs> well, but can you tell me what your? What, did you know the names? Did you recognize these titles uh, or no? Yeah, I recognized some of them. Like Larry, I think Larry's number one. Um, paranormal Activity. He loves Paranormal Activity. Okay. okay. And I'm sorry to laugh. And number two, he. Uh, What's the other one? Um, it's science, kind of. Oh, The Conjuring, I think. Yeah, that's pretty good. He likes The Conjuring. Okay, now when you say 2000s, does that include like up until 2019? Like 2000 to 2009. Like, you know. Oh, so the decade. Okay, okay. Okay, yeah. I've got two movies I'm going to name, maybe three, okay. but I want you to relay these to Larry because I want to know what he thinks, okay? Okay. One of them is The Witch. He hates The Witch. That's my favorite horror of this decade, okay? He hates it. I liked it because there's a uh, there's a goat beating the hell out of a guy. 
Okay. And anytime a movie has goat on human violence, you're in. Yep. You're in. Okay, and then the other one, maybe we've talked about this. The other one is Hereditary. Yeah, we have talked about this on the LCS show. Hereditary is terrible. It is a, uh, it, it's a, it's just one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It is so dumb. One of the, <laughs> be- one of the best <laughs> movies I've ever seen. It was so it. scary. It was so scary. What are you talking about? So Jolie, Jolie, Jolie has been sleeping with a lamp on for two weeks just from seeing that movie. <laughs> Man, just- you- you Canadian kids are soft. You're ten. So what? what so what do you <laughs> think is scary then? What do you think is scary then? I uh, House of Mystery. House of, <laughs> okay, but no, but movies, movies. That's like terrifying. Paranormal, paranormal activity. Oh, I don't. I never watch it. I don't watch horror oh. movies, so I don't. I can't really think of a movie that has ever scared me. I don't really? Know. Uh, oh, I can. Because you know they're movies, right? <laughs> oh, I, I yeah, thought I they were documentaries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like you know, they're actors doing a bit. So, <laughs> does it yeah, really but, that but that's, but that, but if you think that way, how could you enjoy any movie? I hear you, but I guess this the scary thing. I don't know. I just, oh, I, I but the, you also, I think you also have to want to be scared. Like obviously, yeah, the part yeah, like well, it's like when I go into a horror movie, I know it's like okay, I'm on a roller coaster and I'm ready for the roller coaster, but. But and, and usually, like, if I get scared, like, if, if I'm watching a movie with someone and they're, like, actually scared of, like, going to sleep, I don't get to that level. But I certainly, if I'm, like, alone at home watching a horror movie, I will look over my shoulder. Like, I swear <laughs> to God, I was watching this movie called um, Under the Shadow the other day. It's actually okay. in Persian language, okay? This movie was so scary. I swear to God, um, afterwards, I was reading up on it on... Um, Wikipedia, and I, I, I swear to God, I heard a voice coming from another room in my house. I was scared crapless, okay? I went and I, like, shut the door to, like, my studio, and, like, I kept a light on. It was freaking scary. Anyway, but, yeah, it's October, so. At, at any point in that movie, did the guy turn his wife into a chicken and then eat her? No, nothing like that. Yeah. Nothing, fortunately. All right. Yeah. So House of Mystery number 313, Micah, what would you give it? One out of ten. Oh, okay, well, the Eye Vampire story, I'll give a 6 out of 10. Uh, oh, boy. The <laughs> second story, I'll give a 4 out of 10. And okay. the, the last story, that's like 2 out of 10. That's bad. <laughs> so it averages out to a 4 then overall. Both, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll give it like a 3 overall. Well, what do you give Eye uh, Vampire? Like a 5. Okay, okay. So not as bad as you thought it would be. The the eye vampire stuff, <clears throat> like I said, I really like the motivation for the character, the backstory, and all that. So I can I can respect the eye vampire. I don't, but vampires and horror, like I said, it's just not my thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if it was more fist fights in it, I would have liked it better. But, okay. Yeah. So funny. There it is. All right. So yeah, there you go. So there's my two picks for Shocktober. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> that w- when the next holiday comes up, you'll oh, be yeah. a little, little bit more festive. Well, November, Michael, American Thanksgiving. Are you going to have a Thanksgiving? <laughs> I'll have to dig deep <laughs> for that. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. All right. Well, next week, we're back to the good picks. One of my oh, picks. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I want to go with X-Men number 96 from 1975. Whoa. You beat me to the punch. I was going to spring Ooh. some X-Men on you, but okay. Yeah, because X-Men, it's basically my all-time favorite comic book like i that was what i really grew up on from the time i was like 11 to 13 and those are informative years for a child you take in a lot of stuff there 
So I love X-Men, and this is from 1975. This is right after they became the all-new, all-different X-Men. This is like their third issue, I think, since the big jump to the new X-Men. The the issue right before this, Thunderbird died. Right. So we get the new team here. And this is well before they're the uncanny X-Men, Michael. I don't know. I I just realized that they didn't become the uncanny X-Men until like 141 or 142, somewhere around Yeah. In fact, even, you know, we just recently reviewed Amazing Spider-Man 111. I think at that point, the indicia still said just Spider-Man. Huh. Yeah, I think I think it did. I'm not positive, but I think so. So about that. So X-Men 96, they're fighting a demon. Awesome. Fighting a demon. Right. Which is weird because X-Men, you don't usually see them fighting demons, but they're no. fighting a demon. Now, let me ask you, though. You obviously did not buy this when it came out. <laughs> no, I was okay. Okay, I was. I don't even know what month it came out. Yeah, but I'm sure it was alive, but barely. Yeah, December '75. Yes, I. My first time reading this was probably an X Men classic. Remember that? Gotcha, gotcha. They reprint them. Okay. Now, when we read this, are we reading the original version or the classic X Men version? Because the classic sometimes has extra scenes added. Uh, we're reading the original. Gotcha. Okay. Just making sure. X-Men 96. Cool. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I, I believe the uh, Chris Claremont was the writer, but he wasn't... The, I, I think Bill Mantlo may have been plotting at this point. Yes, I, I just noticed that. I, I never knew that, but and yeah, Dave, that's true. And Dave Cockrum is the artist. Yes, I love Dave Cockrum. He's my favorite. All right, there we go. <laughs> All right, looking <laughs> forward to it. Okay, so for those of you out there listening, we have a special announcement to make, don't we, Mike Dell? Uh, sure. Go ahead, Michael. Well, you did you did the legwork so you can announce it. Well, I don't know if it's much of an announcement, but uh, <laughs> the podcast <laughs> is now available on Spotify and Stitcher. Which okay. means our complete uh, viewership or listenership is going to increase by one because now Larry can listen <laughs> to it, right? Well, no, Larry listens through iTunes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dang. We're, we're waiting to get approval on iTunes. It's been submitted, but it can take up to three weeks, but... Soon we will be on iTunes as well. But if you have Spotify or Stitcher, you can listen to it there. Great. And for anyone listening, we definitely want to hear your feedback. So please, uh, you know, whatever format you're listening to us on, please, you know, send us messages. Let us know what you think of our reviews of the comic. Let us know what you think of the comic itself. Uh, if you are if you can't find anywhere to comment, feel free to uh, email us. I guess for now they can use mail at comicbooksyndicate.com, but maybe we should eventually create an email for uh, Flea Market Fantasy. Hey, what do you think? Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we can get G.I. Julie to do that. How about that? Yeah, let her do it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. So until then, we will see you guys, or you can hear from us again in a week next Tuesday on Flea Market Fantasy. Fantasy.